Welcome to Pocket Economics, a guide to changing lives, our podcast about the ideas which are shaping the EBRD regions and beyond. I'm Jonathan Charles. Today we're discussing populism, one of the defining political themes of the 21st century. What are the causes and symptoms of populism? Is there a cure? Is populism a threat, something we should be afraid of, or a corrective for democracy when it stops working as it should? With me is Sergei Guriev, the EBRD's chief economist and author of a recently published paper, The European Trust Crisis and the Rise of Populism. But first, as usual on Pocket Economics, we need to define the terms. What is populism? Populism is a political philosophy that seeks to appeal to the concerns of ordinary people. As an ideology, it often divides society into two opposing groups, the so-called pure people and the corrupt elite. It also argues that politics should be an expression of the general will of the people, and that it alone can articulate what that will is. This thing-centered ideology can then be overlaid on all sorts of thick-centered ideologies, such as socialism, nationalism, anti-imperialism, or racism, and therefore be used to explain the world and justify specific agendas. Populists can be militarists, pacifists, admirers of Che Guevara, or of Ayn Rand. They range from climate activists to climate change deniers. But what makes them all populist? What do you think, Sergei? Right. This is uh, a very interesting question because different disciplines define populism differently. And political scientists, and uh, I would like to refer to this recent very brief introduction to populism book published by Oxford University Press, they define populists as advocates of ideology that divides society into corrupt elite and pure people. And they kind of say that these pure people deserve the right to govern, and there are no divisions within the pure people. So this is an ideology which is thin-centered. It doesn't really have substance uh, in terms of what is good and what is bad. It's just whatever people need is good. Whatever uh, the corrupt elite tries to oppose is bad. Economists usually talk about populism differently. For an economist, populist is somebody who presents wrong but uh, seemingly Uh, popular solutions, which may work in the short run, but are not sustainable in the long run. And this is a traditional Latin American populism of uh, excessive redistribution, which is not fiscally sustainable. But populists can do other things. They can create barriers to trade, migration, investment, which also uh, create uh, chronic capitalism, inefficiencies, undermine growth. So it's not necessarily a left-wing redistribution populism. It may also be right-wing nativism that protects, quote-unquote, pure people from uh, others, from aliens, from uh, corrupt uh, foreigners, or from corrupt plutocrats who live inside the country. So economics and uh, politics of populism is somewhat different, somewhat uh, orthogonal, if if I can say that. But it's quite interesting, just listening to that definition, uh, it could be, you know, you could infer from that, that uh, populists don't have necessarily principles, they're shifting principles. That's exactly right. So uh, in different countries, populists uh, can actually adhere to different ideologies. And in some countries, we actually can have extreme left and extreme right uh, populists. Sometimes they converge. 
And uh, recently in Europe, and that's what we discuss in this paper, recently in Europe, we have seen the rise of extreme left and extreme right populists. And what unites them is not attitude to taxes or markets, but uh, attitude to Europe, attitude to uh, globalization, and attitude to nativism. So many of extreme left and extreme right populists today uh, talk to each other about uh, constraining globalization, uh, building barriers, uh, reducing trade, investment, and immigration. Now, populists strive to be popular, of course, because they want to get the backing of the people. But there is a difference, isn't there, between being popular and, and being a populist? That's exactly true. And indeed, if we think about liberal democracy, liberal democracy is about winning elections, is about being popular. And it doesn't mean that you have to offer unsustainable and wrong solutions to difficult problems to win the elections. And somebody like a, a popular pluralist, for example, President Obama, is a president who uh, built his platform on a compromise of interests of various minorities. And of course, uh, we need to understand that in today's society, we don't have a homogeneous majority of white men in any society. We talk about uh, conflicting interests, and uh, uh, different minorities have to compromise, uh, have to agree on which policies uh, make a sustainable economic and social uh, solution to difficult problems. And this is what a popular pluralist should do. Popular pluralist builds together a platform and runs on this platform, which delivers to each minority. Nobody can uh, maximize its own interests. That's a place for compromise. And that's how a modern liberal democracy works and should work. Let's have a look at the economic causes of populism. What does the recent rise in many countries of populism tell us about what's going on in the global economy? In our work, we actually look at Europe, and uh, in Europe, we see that it is the change in uh, unemployment due to the global economic crisis in recent years that drives the popularity of uh, non-mainstream anti-establishment Euroscapitalism. Even parties. after all these years, I mean, we're now uh, a decade on from the start of that uh, economic crisis. Yeah. That's a good question. Actually, unemployment uh, kept uh, kept on rising until just a couple of years ago. Until in some countries, it's still not subsiding. Uh, but also the good news is where unemployment is coming down, populism is also less popular. Populism has gone up, but uh, we do see some retreat of populist vote, populist support. And in that sense, of course, uh, economic growth, economic recovery that we are observing now around the world, but also in Europe, is actually creating the light in the end of the tunnel. And we do see that populists uh, stop winning elections in many countries. So we may have passed peak populism then. Well, in some countries, unemployment is still high. Mm. And in some countries, we still have challenges. And uh, we should not be surprised that uh, there are economic forces that support support populists. Where, where does corruption and inequality play into the rise of populism if we look at it through the economic lens? Uh, this is a very good question. So one issue is economic well-being. And the other one is perception of fairness, perception that indeed there is a corrupt elite which benefits from the status quo. It's not only that I'm unemployed or people around me lose jobs or people around me don't see wage growth or income growth, but it's also this feeling that the system is not fair, that the playing field is not uh, equal and it is actually tilted in favor of the elites. And in that sense, corruption matters and perception of corruption matters a lot. And in that sense, reforms uh, targeting uh, tax evasion 
and what we, we call base, base erosion and profit shifting. This is exactly the right solution for addressing some of those issues. Uh, tax havens, uh, uh, offshore, offshore destinations, profit shifting, this is really a threat to modern uh, democratic order. You're listening to Pocket Economics, the EBRD podcast on how economic ideas help to change people's lives. I'm Jonathan Charles. Today we're discussing the rise of populism with our guest, uh, EBRD chief economist, Sergei Guriev. And Sergei, is there a correlation between fake news and populism? Because we live in a world where people have access to huge amounts of information, whether correct or not. Is this feeding into the whole populism debate? I think fake news are essential to the rise of populism. So basically, populism is an anti-elite movement, as we just said. Whether this is right-wing or left-wing, populists uh, uh, strive to reject technocracy, to uh, say that experts are not to be trusted. And what's happening now, we are living in an interesting experiment where populists make misleading or sometimes uh, outright incorrect statements and yet get away with that. The response from the media and from the experts is what we call fact-checking, where if a populist says X, we check the numbers and say it's actually incorrect. It's too late by then. But then it's too late, indeed. And this is some research which uh, we have done where we exposed real voters with quotes from a populist politician, but also with the fact-checking, and try to see if people learn the numbers and try to see if they change their views. And the answer is... People learn the numbers, but in many cases they don't change their views and they actually follow the politician more if uh, they see that the politician cares about this salient issue, even if the politician lies. So I think in addition to fact-checking coming from journalists or experts, we really need charismatic opponents. And that's the main uh, solution to this issue. Not only the facts, not only the sustainable, doable uh, policies, but also a charismatic, passionate politician that stands behind those politics. And I think we saw that in the U.S. and in France, where you do have a, a leader who actually cares about ordinary people, but also relies on implementable solutions. Uh, that is where populists uh, can be defeated. And what are mainstream political parties doing to adapt to this new political landscape? Are they stealing some populist clothes? Are they reacting in other ways? Because you mentioned the Front National in France, for example, you know, where they were they were involved in the in the presidential election and, and how do you combat that or how do you deal with that? We've seen it in other countries, in Spain, clearly in Germany in the recent elections with the rise of uh, some populist parties. But what do the mainstream, the long existing, what can also seen in some quarters as a bit stale conventional politics. How does it react to that? I think uh, populism raises uh, the issue uh, that uh, some some of our models don't work. And some uh, mainstream parties or some mainstream politicians wake up to the challenge and start putting together a platform to address those issues. And that is useful. But in uh, some other uh, episodes, we see that mainstream parties actually indeed move towards populism. And you mentioned Front, uh, National Front, Front National. We see that right-wing party in France actually shifted its policies in the direction of Front National. And uh, I think this is the wrong solution. I think the problems that Front National is discussing are real, but the solution should not be populist solutions. And I think what we see in some countries is when populists uh, fight globalization with barriers, 
we see that that actually constrains competition, creates crony capitalisms, creates rents, and uh, we create corruption instead of fighting corruption. We restrict competition instead of creating opportunity for those who are left behind. So what does this rise of populism, do you think, mean for democracy in the medium and long term? Obviously, there are short-term consequences now, but, but what do you see as the enduring legacy of it? Well, we, uh, being in the international financial institution, are definitely optimists regarding the future of globalization. And I think uh, this is a challenge where democratic, liberal democratic politicians and institutions like ours should come up with solutions, should think about how to make globalization more inclusive, open, fair, and create opportunities for those who were hit by financial crisis, who were hit by job polarization, uh, automation. And these solutions exist. None of those is easy, but they're doable. And we do see that uh, people who uh, think in those terms can actually win elections. A completely unlikely rise of Emmanuel Macron, for example, was unexpected. But indeed, this is uh, exactly how it worked. Solutions uh, bringing together markets, but also social cohesion, also, also creating opportunities, fighting discrimination, and promoting European integrations. All of that turned out to be quite popular. So, I mean, sharing the benefits, really, of globalization a lot more widely than, than might have been perceived in the past. That's, that's exactly what needs to be done. Without that, I think populists have a really serious chance at winning. But again, I would like to emphasize that it's not just uh, technocratic solutions. It's also, it's also about politics. And I would also say that uh, this issue of corruption that you brought up is key. Populists claim to fight corrupt elites. So elites, the, these mainstream politicians who oppose populists, should be not corrupt. And we see that uh, those in individuals, those politicians who manage to fight against populists are the politicians without... Uh, skeletons in their uh, closets, are politicians without uh, reputational problems, are politicians without uh, corruption accusations. This is the way forward. And I think one of the challenges now is actually to bring better people into politics, to create incentives for talented but also honest and idealistic individuals to come to politics and address these issues. Sergey, thank you very much. That's a fascinating topic. We could have spent a lot uh, longer talking about that, and I'm sure people listening to us will have views as well, which they let us know about. If you're interested in learning more about the subject, you can find out more on ebrd.com. And as I say, share your thoughts with us at EBRD on Twitter and Facebook. Visit iTunes, SoundCloud, and ebrd.com slash podcast to download previous episodes. We're now on the second season of Pocket Economics, and the podcast is going from strength to strength, I'm glad to say, with live events now, new way of uh, you getting involved as well. So follow that too. But let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, goodbye.